Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. It's our weekly visit with Union Men's Head Hockey Coach Josh Houchin. Josh, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, Union hits the road this weekend uh, with games against ECAC Hockey leading Quinnipiac on Friday and then against Princeton on Saturday. We'll look ahead to those games in our second segment. But let's look back at uh, last weekend's home games against Colgate and Cornell. A mixed re- mixed results, um, you know, thanks to Liam Robertson's hat trick. Uh, the Gardner Chargers beat Colgate 5-3 on Friday. But second place, Cornell uh, took a 6-1 win in Saturday's game. Let's start with the Colgate game. Uh, the Gardner Chargers fell behind 1-0 less than four minutes into the game on a Jake Schneider goal. But then later in the period, Union scores three goals in a 98-second span to take a 3-1 lead. Started with Robertson's power play goal with 6.30 left. And before anyone had a chance to settle down from that goal, Carter Corpy scores 14 seconds later. And then with 4.52 left, Nate Hanley scores. Now, that had to give your team some confidence and rattle Colgate's nerves the way that you guys were you know, scoring those goals quickly. Yeah, I, th- I thought the first period we we controlled the majority of it, but you know halfway through you're down one nothing, and then you know once we got one, it kind of got it got the spark and a little confidence. I mean, next thing you know, we're up three one. It happened really quick, and uh, <laughs> it's always fun to be on the bench when things are going that. Yeah, way. I think I just uh, had, uh, posted about uh, Liam's goal when <laughs> Carter scored. And I'm thinking, what what happened there? And then and then Nate scores like it's crazy stuff. That's the one thing you know. Social media, you're busy trying to do stuff, and then you're missing out on the action. So. But uh, Union made it 4-1 on another power play goal by uh, Robertson. It was sort of a fluky play in which uh, Colby MacArthur shanked a one-timer from uh, the left circle off of a pass from Brandon Bear. But, you know, the puck had enough momentum to carry over to Robertson on the right side. He beat Carter uh, Carter Guylander at 444 into the period. He had to be feeling good at that point, right? Yeah, I thought, like, at that time we felt like, you know, the game was in hand. We were, you know, just had to have to play simple, have to play smart, and, um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't think we played played the best there, um, and, and uh, we got a lot of big saves from Kyle. Yeah, I was going to. You know, we're going to start to. Colgate starts to exert itself after that uh, goal. Raiders had plenty of uh, good scoring opportunities. A lot of odd man rushes. They also had a breakaway that led to a penalty shot for Ben Raymond after he was slashed by John Prokop with 8.32 left in the second. You know, fortunately for Union, Raymond's shot uh, on the penalty shot went wide, but Colgate ended up out shooting Union 16 to 6 in the second. I mean, how did Colgate manage to take control of things there after the uh, Liam Robertson's second goal? Yeah, I think it's, you know, they gave a good push and. Um, you know, bottled us up a little bit, and um, I, I thought that we just weren't moving our feet the way we need to, and um, you know, and just started. You know, you could just kind of sense it on the bench that like we felt like we were in control, but it was slowly kind of slipping away there. Yeah, Colgate you know, continued the momentum in at the start of the third period and scored twice in the 15 second span early in the period. It turned a seemingly uh, comfortable comfortable four one lead into a nail biting four three game. After the goal by Ross Mitten, that made it a one-goal game at 444 of the period, you called your timeout. And how important was it for you to call that timeout? I, you know, I think our guys would have, you know, responded, but it was, you know, it was just kind of they needed a little wake-up call. And, um, you know, in that, in that second, I thought we survived it, but, you know, we didn't, we didn't fix it in between the second and third. And, um, you know, they just needed kind of, hey, like, let's snap in here. We, we were the better team for the first period. Let's get back to that. And, um, I, I thought we did at least a better job of limiting their chances in the third. Yeah, I have to compliment you on that because, I mean, I think last year maybe you don't call that timeout because I know there were a couple times last year where the games were getting out of control 
and we talked afterwards and you regretted not taking the time out. But I think you sensed that, that you needed to take that to settle them down, which it did. Uh, I mean, does that mean you you feel like you're growing as a coach? You're learning from uh, some past uh, uh, life or coaching lessons? Yeah, I mean, you look at it and it's a little easier when you're up and, and you, you know, like you're it's slipping away. Um, you know, last year, those games where like we were, it was early in the game and I didn't want to, you know, lose the challenge and the ability to challenge. And that, you know, um, I, I guess, yeah, maybe I'm growing up in the sense that like, Hey, we got to get to the final minutes to, you know, want to use a timeout and not, you can't save it. So, yeah. um, you know, if, if we felt like the game is, is kind of going sideways, we, you know, we're, we're not afraid to use it. Yeah. I refer, I remember the, uh, the, the Cornell game out there with the, all the power plays is going to first print. I know you, we talked afterwards and you thought that maybe during that time you should have called a timeout, but the, maybe to settle things down. Yeah. But it's, but like I said, I think it's you're learning as a coach. I mean, it's your second year as a head coach, and you're, I think you're understanding the situation is a lot better. Yeah, I, I mean, I, f- I feel at least with this group too, I feel way more comfortable. Like I, I sometimes you, you know what they need, and um, you know at that time it was just hey, like let's. Let's refocus here. We're a good hockey team. Let's get back to the way we we need to play to be successful. And um, you know, and that's what the guys did. Now, Union did settle down as the game wound down. Uh, Guy Lander was pulled for an extra attacker, and Union takes advantage of it as Ben Tupper clears the puck out of the Union zone. Robertson won the race to the puck, which eliminated a potential icing call. He got a perfect caramel off the backboard and fired the puck into the net with one and one left to not only complete his first career hat trick, but get Union's first hat trick since Spencer Food did it against Dartmouth on February 11th. 2017, so two days short of seven years. I mean, how happy were you for Liam? Uh, extremely happy, and you know, I think that um, just the way he killed that six on five, just the way he was, you know, he was right where he needed to be defensively, and then you know, he ends up getting you know getting rewarded. He wasn't trying to cheat for the hat trick. It came, you know, just running the systems, and he got the opportunity because of it. So um, he's been playing some great hockey for us, and we're going to need him to be good down the stretch. Yeah. Well, on Saturday, Cornell comes in the Messerink, and unfortunately for the Garden Chargers, not a good start. Cornell has a jump from the opening faceoff, and Union was on its heels for the first period and into the second. Uh, Jonathan Kasanga scored uh, twice in the first to give Cornell the lead. Uh, there were a couple of bad penalties taken by Union. Josh Nixon had a cross-checking penalty in the offensive zone. And then Carter Corpy got a five-minute major for boarding on a game misconduct. We'll talk, we'll talk about that penalty in a little bit. Uh, then Nixon took another offensive zone penalty in the second period, another one where I think it was more of a retaliatory because uh, Ian Shane was, uh, yeah, from what people were saying to me on um, on X and uh, threads that uh, you know, the, the Shane had actually initiated things. But um, how how do you try to prevent uh, those uh, uh, offensive zone penalties? Well, I think it's, you know, something that, yeah, we have to correct and we can't, you know, can't have. Um, you know, it's... You know, today in practice, we, you know, and yesterday, you know, all week, I guess, uh, anytime there's a penalty, we we call it, we do some push-ups for it and kind of, you know, try to move on and, um, you know, but it's been talked about, like, our discipline has to be better. Um, we can't give, you know, quality hockey teams, like, free chances, and I thought that's what we did against Cornell. We, we mismanaged pucks and, and took penalties that we didn't need to, and when you do that, you give them, you know, give them a chance and... Um, they have more time and space, and they're skilled enough to make you pay, and that's what they did. Do you think you gave them too much respect? Oh, no question. I mean, I, they, well, they deserve a ton of respect first off, but, like, we, we played a little timid, and um, as the game went on, I thought we, you know, started to play more to our identity and the way we need to play, and, um, you know, again, it's got to be, 
we we got to learn to win those games, and 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 that's where we're at as a program right now. Is we have to take that step, and um, right now, Quinnipiac and Cornell are the the two top dogs in this league, and and we got to find a way to beat them. The Corpy major was not reviewed by the, the officials. They just deemed it as a five-minute major. Uh, Corpy took a couple strides and then uh, banged the uh, Cornell player into the boards in front of, in front of the union bench. Uh, should the play have been reviewed, and uh, what did the ECAC say about it? Yeah, they, they talked about it with me, and, and you know they, they had wished that the, the you know refs on the ice would have, um, you know, at least taking a look at it just because it's, you know, there's 34 games and you're taking one opportunity from, you know, a young man to play. And, um, you know, you got to be sure on it. And, um, you know, he's looking up at the puck. Both players were. And, you know, obviously Carter's got to be in control of his body and, you know, make sure he doesn't, you know, make that hit or at least wrap him up as he's making the hit. Um, I would have been fine with a penalty, but to to kick him out of the game, I think that was, it was too much. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't like three or four strides. It was two strides, but I think maybe... Just from my angle of it, yeah. uh, he sort of really those two strides. He's really maybe the way uh, the, the Cornell player fell awkwardly in the boards. Maybe that's what the referees thought that was preserving yeah. of a major. Yeah, and he was hit also by um, our defenseman who was you know coming from the side. So I think there was two guys hitting him at the same time, and um, you know, like we have the, the the ability to, you know, I guess the refs have the ability to review it, but we reviewed it multiple times, you know, since the game. And um, again, I just wish they would have, but at the same point, um, you know, they all have that call on the ice, so you gotta you gotta move on with yeah. it. Well, Cornell makes it four nothing into the second period. Then Cullen Ferguson scores a power play goal for Union uh, with seven fifty seven left in the second, so Union gets its goal. And I thought uh, at that point you were carrying the play after after that and into the third. Even Cornell head coach Mike Schaefer felt the same way. Did the team find its game after falling behind by four? You know, I think that there was there were spots where we had our game, but you know, I, I think you know when it's four nothing. And we get that one, and, and we really were making a push. I, th- I thought, like, we needed to get, you know, a second one to to give us that chance and to really put the pressure on Cornell, and, and we weren't able to do that. And uh, when you dig yourself that big a hole, it's tough to get out of. Um, I really liked the way we played. I liked their compete. I liked that we never quit. But, you know, obviously, you, you know, you can't put yourself down for nothing. Yeah, you were generating, generating a lot of chance in that third period there, but uh, Ian Shane was uh, magnificent in stopping all those shots, and then Cornell ends up getting two late goals to make that final 6-1. Uh, after the game, what was the message to the team? I, I think the biggest message was is that like when you play a good hockey team, you, you're going to have adversity, but you can't create adversity by yourself. And uh, We did that with our mismanagement of pucks, and we did that with the penalties we took. So... Uh, yep. you're, you're already playing a really, you know, it's, there's there's enough adversity just playing Cornell. So, like, you don't need to, to do it to yourself. You wish that game was at 4 o'clock? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, I know. I mean, yeah. just, well, we're going to take a break, and after the break, we'll talk about this weekend's road games against Quinnipiac and Princeton. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. It's the most historic conference in college hockey. It's a battle night in and night out. ECAC Hockey, an iconic conference home to 12 of the most prestigious universities and programs in the world, and showcasing the best student-athletes in the sport. Top-notch facilities and arenas, incomparable traditions, passionate fans, alumni who go on to become elite professionals, leaders, and champions. ECAC Hockey, 
there's no experience like it. In school sports, it's easy to see the wins, the moments that make headlines. But there's so much work that goes unseen for any of it to happen. My name is Phil Risen, and I'm the Executive Director of the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Throughout the country, athletic administrators dedicate countless hours to making life-changing opportunities possible for student-athletes through sports. Their sacrifice is fueled by the belief that every student can grow and deserves their time to shine. On behalf of the NIAAA, we want to thank every athletic administrator for your tireless dedication to providing 7.8 million students across the country a path to a better future. This message presented by the NIAAA, the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm Daily Gazette news columnist Andrew Waite and host of the Weighing In podcast, which takes you inside my award-winning featured news column by offering the backstory, thought process, and interviews that inform my work. Plus, readers have their chance to respond. The Weighing In podcast is available at dailygazette.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get all the latest news from the Daily Gazette on your phone or tablet? We have an app for that. The Daily Gazette app allows you to read all the newspaper stories and columns from our dedicated team of journalists. The app is free. You can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Hi, this is Craig Conroy, Calgary Flames General Manager, Clarkson Hockey Legend, and New York State Hockey Hall of Famer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast as Union Men's Head Hockey Coach Josh Halji joins me here on the Parting Shots podcast. Well, Josh, another tough test comes up Friday as Union heads to Hamden, Connecticut to face ECAC hockey leading and defending national champion uh, Quinnipiac. It's the second meeting between the two teams this season. Quinnipiac won 5-0 on December 2nd at Messerink. The Bobcats scored three goals in the 319 span early in the second period of that game. I mean, how important is it going to be for Union to get off to a good start and not sit back and let Quinnipiac dictate the play? Yeah, I think for us that's been a you know a focal point for us all year is when we, we we have fast starts and we set the pace. We're a pretty tough team to beat when we play on our heels and we you know don't don't step up to, you know to the challenge right away and and or work our way into the game. That's that's when we get into trouble. So for us, it's really important to get off to that quick start and you know hopefully try to get that first goal. Well, Quinnipiac has won seven straight against Union and is unbeaten in the last eight. And the Bobcats have outscored Union 29-7 in those uh, last eight games. Union's last win was a 5-1 triumph in Hamden on November 10th, 2018. What do you have to do to snap this skid against the Bobcats? Well, I, I think they're, you know, obviously right now they're, you know, the defending national champions and they're at the top of the league. So you got a, a really tough op, you know, opponent. And um, for us, we got to, you know, stay above them and make it really difficult for them to get chances and then play play you know below them as far as you know getting pucks in deep and taking care of it and and really driving to the net and um, if we can get you know pucks to our point and then get traffic to the net is it's it's always important for us and then our special teams are going to have to be you know really dialed in what makes Quinnipiac so good I, I just think they're really structured I think they have a lot of high-end talent and um, you know he lets lets his guys play but they all play within that structure so like they know how they want to play they you know, I haven't had to change a pre-scout very much from, from the last couple of years. They do what they do, and they do it really well. 
Well, Quinnipiac has lost three conference games this season, one more than all of last season. And the Bobcats lost to St. Lawrence last Friday, and they were swept uh, recently on the Central New York trip to Colgate and Cornell. I'll ask this question, maybe a silly question, but are they vulnerable? I mean, you know, it's, it's a good league, and I think anybody can beat anybody. And um, But, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to be at our best to beat them. And, um, I, again, for us, it's a, like we have to take that step to, to beat a team like Quinnipiac or, or Cornell. We haven't, like I said, we haven't done that, and um, we're excited for the challenge. And I, I think they'll, I'm sure they'll be dialed in and ready to go, but, um, you know, I'm excited about where we're at. Is that a tough rank to play in down there? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, you know, they got, they got a good student section. It's, you know, it's a nice building, so it'll, it, there's, there's a lot of energy in it, so it should be fun. Well, speaking of nice building, we'll talk a little bit about the union's uh, situation with the Harbor Rink in just a moment. Um, so after Quinnipiac, it's off to Princeton for the Saturday night game at historic, yet frigid, Hoey Baker <laughs> Rink. Uh, I, I still, uh, that place, I don't, uh, I one year, I, let me just, you know, before I get into the question, one year I was covering, when I was traveling, it was so cold in there, I went running to the, to the locker room to, to get interviews. I could not feel my toes. I thought <laughs> my toes were going to break off. That's how cold it gets in that building. Uh, but, um, yeah, you, you played Princeton that uh, December 1st at Mesa, and Union Cruz was 7-2 win. Seven, uh, seven different Union players scored in that game. Uh, maybe it was a little bit of revenge for last March's ECAC hockey tournament's first round loss to Princeton. What did you like about that game? Yeah, I mean, we just started, you know, watching that video, but, you know, I uh, as far as, you know, the way we played, I thought we possessed the puck a lot. I thought our guys made the most of their opportunities. You know, um, we we kept we kept going. You know, it was it was a, a closer game, and then kind of we 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 pulled away at the end. But um, just just thought overall there was a, a lot of good effort from from our guys, and it was up and down the lineup. Yeah, Princeton is in last place in the conference with 16 points, but the Tigers are certainly not a pushover. What are you expecting in that game uh, on Saturday? Well, I think Princeton is its one of the toughest places to play. Everything happens really fast in that arena. Um, you know, their power play is special. I think they're in the top five in the, in the country on their power play. So, uh, again, our discipline is going to be really important. Um, you know, I, they're always really talented, and I think their coach gets them, you know, to compete really hard. You know, looking at the ECAC hockey standings, Union is in fifth place, just a point behind Clarkson for the fir- final uh, first-round by slot. Uh, Garner Chargers trail third place, Colgate by three points. So how important is it to come out of this weekend with at least three and possibly six points? Well, at this point in the time, it doesn't matter like how you get them. You just got to bank any points you can. And you know, for us, we, we need to get points every weekend. And um, you know, ideally, you're getting six, so you can give yourself a chance to push up. You know, as high as you know, up into third. But um, you know, it, it, it's two tough opponents, so uh, <laughs> we we got to try to find a way to get points. You mentioned in your uh, media availability on Tuesday that forward Cole Kotze could be back in the lineup on Friday. Uh, Kotze hasn't played since December 30th against Bentley. Has he been out because of injury? Uh, that's kind of how it, it it started for him as he got an injury. And then as we've kind of, you know, been on a little bit of a, a streak here, he's been, you know, working his way back and, um, he's been really good in practice here the last, um, you know, couple weeks. And so, um, you know, expecting to see him here this weekend. Yeah. Well, we mentioned about, uh, playing out the Quinnipiac, one of the nicer arenas in ECAC hockey. Uh, the Mohawk Harbor Arena Project is a step closer to reality on Monday night. The Schenectady City, City Council approved $2.5 million dollars in uh, funding for the project. Uh, how excited are you? How excited is the, the hockey program about this? And I mean, do you feel like the puck's about ready to put it, be put in the net? 
Yeah, I think that this is, it seems like this is kind of the one thing everybody is waiting on and really hoping for. So, you know, feel really good about, about where that's at. And I mean, for us, it's, you know, again, we love where we're at and, you know, <laughs> right now, but, um, you know, to have that new facility for recruiting, to have it for just the fan experience of, you know, having multiple concession stands, having multiple bathrooms, having parking, I mean, it would go a long way. And I think it's, it's kind of what we need. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, from the Cornell game the other night, and people were lined up, <laughs> you're talking about bathrooms. I mean, uh, there's only one, that one bathroom there in the lobby and you have people waiting it's it's crazy, and, and I, I know there's some fans out there who want to stay at Mess, and I'm thinking, why? It's, it's there's parking's awful, uh, the, the amenities are awful. It's time the building is worn down. It's 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 outlived its usefulness. I, I mean, I like the atmosphere in the games. It's it's awesome, yeah, and yeah. it's so much fun. But you know, like you know, <laughs> I just before I got the job, I came here as an assistant. My wife was pregnant at the time, and I mean, just. After the first period, I felt so bad for her. She was uncomfortable. So, I mean, I again, I I love everything about it, but at the same point, I, I'm excited for something new if we get that chance. Well, the sound, it, it reverberates. It's that echo because even when I, you know, I'm over at the rink and I can hear myself, I happen to say something, you can hear it bouncing off the ceiling. That I think that was especially during Union's run to the national championship those years. I mean, it, this rink, Mesa, was an intimidating place to play. No no question. And, and when we get it rolling, it really still is. And uh, it's funny, just sometimes in practice, you got to – if you're screaming too loud, it's bouncing all over. The players can't understand anything you're saying, so you got to like kind of lower your voice. So yeah. it's, it is it is a unique atmosphere. Well, one other topic I want to discuss. I mean, I don't know how much you've been following the situation with the Dartmouth uh, men's basketball team and wanting to unionize. Uh, the National Labor Relations Board in, in the Boston area regional office ruled that Dartmouth men's basketball players should be considered university employees under U.S. law. I, I don't know how you can answer this question. I mean, but is this a precedent that could really affect not only college basketball, but college hockey or college sports in general? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in a lot of these things, there's, there's consequences to stuff that I think, I don't know if people are always aware about. And, you know, um, obviously we want to make sure student athletes are taken care of and they're you know, treated well. And if you have the ability to get them, you know, extra stuff, whether it's, um, you know, money or, you know, extra equipment, like we always want to try to do that for our guys, but, I get worried about some of the, you know some of the smaller schools if they can you know if every athlete is an employee like how are they gonna how are they gonna survive with it so it, it's I, I do think there's some unintended consequences but again I you know I always want our guys to be taken care of the best they can has it been talked about among the players and, and the staff it, it really hasn't um, you know on our side the uh, you know the the CHL stuff has been way more of a talking point um, but now with that kind of slowly seeming to seeming to like fade away a little bit for at least in the short term here I think this the, the Dartmouth men's basketball team has kind of come to light so um, I know we're playing you know Dartmouth next weekend and I was kind of looking forward to talking to their staff because I'm, I'm guessing they're going to have a lot more information yeah so it would be interesting to follow that I think um, a vote comes up in March with that so we'll see how that turns out uh, Josh uh, good luck this weekend we'll, t- we'll talk after the games Thank you. Should be a fun one. All right. That's Josh Halji. I'll have another uh, edition of the Parting, Shot, uh, Parting Shots podcast on Thursday. It's NBA All-Star Weekend. I'll have an NBA roundtable with Mark Ketchester, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and Gilderland native, and uh, Tim Reynolds, the Fort Ann native who covers the NBA for the Associated Press. I'll also have more on this weekend's Union Men's Hockey Games with interviews uh, with Ben Tupker, Chad Spedrude, and Liam Robertson. 
I'll also look ahead to the Union College women's hockey team's final home games of the season against Princeton and Quinnipiac with head coach Josh Skiba and players Meredith Killiam and Celeste Bowden. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good hockey.